Amen. Thank you, Ken. Morning, church. It's good to see you. Whether it's good morning or not, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you may have come in today excited about church, excited to be here. You may be coming in from a different place. And, uh, and my prayer for you is that God would meet you and speak to you through our services, especially as we open His Word, um, that, that you would hear less of my voice and more of God's voice and His Word for you today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, honored to have you. Um, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. I'm just one of the, the pastors here. Uh, my name is Jason Williams. I serve as lead teaching pastor, and I uh, serve with uh, Pastor Blake and Pastor uh, Nick. Uh, we work as a team uh, to lead the ministry here at the church, and um, just want you to know, like, we're just honored to have you and just want to get to know you and know how we can serve you. Um, a quick announcement before we get into the, to the scriptures today. Um, we do a Wednesday worship service once a month. Um, this month is March. It falls during spring break week, so there's no Wednesday worship this month, okay? So we'll pick that back up in April. Also, um, during spring break, we don't have kids ministry on Wednesday night or student ministry on Wednesday night. So if you've got kids or students, you may be out of town anyway. Just wanted you to know there's no Wednesday night services during spring break. So that's not this week. This week is normal. It's the following week. We're just giving you a heads up. Uh, so two Wednesdays away, we won't have any Wednesday night ministries going on. So make sure you, you make a note of that. All right, so we are in um, 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be talking about, topically, about marriage today. And um, what's interesting is that when we go through the Bible, verse by verse or word by word, we don't get to pick the topics. The, the topics pick us. And uh, we're just teaching what has been written down uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us. And today, the, the primary topic is going to be marriage, a lot of um, instruction for wives and husbands. But I want to say on the onset, there is something for everyone today, whether you're married or not. If you're single, um, never been married, been married, don't ever want to be married again, uh, or anything in between, there is counsel and instruction and encouragement for you today. And a lot of what applies to wives really applies to all ladies, and what applies to husbands will apply to all men, and we'll unpack that together. Um, I do want to say that um, this section of the Bible, like some other sections of the Bible, oftentimes gets hijacked, um, where a Bible verse gets pulled out of context and used to kind of push the agenda of a human. Um, we talked about that last week with slaves and masters, how those Bible verses were kind of pulled out of context and used to justify the mistreatment of people supposedly under the banner of Christ. Uh, but in context, um, we get to the actual meaning and what God is actually saying, and the same will be true this week. Um, the, the scripture's about um, submitting to your husbands, and we're going to look at that not from human perspective or maybe what we've experienced, but from the lens of the scripture itself. Like, what is God actually saying so that we could know what the instruction is? And so we'll, we'll, we'll address this as we go along. But I want to start with you in, in just verses 1 and 2. It starts with the, these words. Likewise, uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So we really have to start with the first word, likewise. Uh, it's going to come up twice in this, past, in this section here. Likewise wives, and he's going to say likewise husbands. And what that does for us is it connects whatever Peter is about to say with what he has already said. So he's saying in the same way. 
likewise. And so what has he already said? Well, we saw last week in the previous passage that he calls us as Christians, even when we're suffering, to still do good in the world. That just because things become hard, we don't repay evil for evil. We continue to strive to do good. And specifically, he says, honor everyone. Every human being is worthy of your honor to treat them as image bearers, as though they have value. And he says, love the brotherhood. In a very specific way, he commands us to treat one another in a specific way. He reminds us to fear God, to live in a sense of awe. Not like I'm running in fear and I'm hiding from God, but I come to God with a sense of awe and respect. And so he just said those things. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. And now he's going to say, likewise, wives. And then in just a minute, likewise, husbands. So with these things in mind, we look at what he says first to wives. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, this is um, not the only place in the Bible you get this teaching. Matter of fact, um, the most common place to hear this teaching is in Ephesians 5. The Apostle Paul uh, teaches wives to submit to their husbands, respect their husbands, and husbands to love their wives. This is kind of the go-to place. Um, there's a, what we're reading now in 1 Peter parallels what Paul teaches in Ephesians. What's interesting, though, I noted this week is in Ephesians 5, Paul addresses the wives, and then he gives a whole lot to the husbands. But here, Peter seems to be giving a whole lot to the wives and, and very little, just one verse to the husbands. I don't know why. You would say take that up with Peter and Paul and ask them why they did that. Um, but for whatever reason, ladies, you're going to get a lot more instruction than the men are going to get. Now, here it is. Be subject to. What does that mean? So just on surface value, this Greek word translated means to yield yourself to another. Okay, so the most practical illustration I could give would be driving down the road, you see a yield sign. Now, if you're not aware of this, if you're on the service road, you're supposed to yield to exit ramps. I don't know if you need to go back to driver's ed and learn that again. Okay, thank you. Now, if somebody doesn't yield to you, the proper response is not anger and road rage. I need to hear that. But the point is, when you're driving and you see a yield sign, that's just a visual indicator. You need to slow down and yield way to somebody else. Okay, that's, that's a decent illustration of what's being communicated here by submit, to yield yourself to one another. What's really important to note, okay, this happens in both places, both in Ephesians 5 when Paul is teaching this, and also here in uh, 1 Peter 3 is when we look at what was just said, everything, ladies, that you're instructed to do has already been instructed to the whole church. Okay, so what you're being instructed to do, your husbands have already been called to do. So if we go back to Ephesians 5, your instruction comes in verse 22, ladies. But back up to verse 21, and what does it say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a call to the whole church. So whatever it means, specifically in marriage, for ladies, wives to submit or yield to their husbands, every believer has already been called to submit to or yield to one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. That is true of every Christian. So before we get to the specific calling in marriage, if you're in this room and you are a Christian, 
these Bible verses apply to you. To love one another and outdo one another in showing honor or value. Submit to or yield yourself willingly to one another. Now back in the fall in September, we did an in-depth teaching on this. And if you want more, I encourage you to go back and listen. It's the 9-11 sermon. So on September 11th, we were in Ephesians 5. I'm not going to unpack it all for us here today, uh, but I want to I express it this way. Ladies, here's what um, you've been called to do. Um, it's, it's the act of willingly yielding yourself in order to declare value of the other person out of your reverence for Christ. That's what you're being called to do here. Your call to honor your husband is to display how valuable he is to you by your yielding to him. And the virtue of biblical submission, listen to this, men pay attention as well. The virtue is found in the willingness of the one submitting, not in the forcefulness of the one being submitted to. Ladies, when you yield to your husband this way, it is meant to be a gift. Do we deserve gifts? No. If you deserve it, that's a paycheck. If you did something to earn it, you're getting paid. This is meant to be a special gift that you choose to give to your husband, to give him honor, to ascribe value to him, to say, this one matters to me. I think it's interesting in um, Proverbs 31, um, it's a, the end of Proverbs 31 talks about um, just a description of a noble wife, a noble mom, a noble woman. One of the indicators of a noble woman is that her husband is honored among the elders of the town. That, by the way, she treats him and honors him. Others do too. And so this call here is really to give your husband the gift of submission as a choice, as a desire to say, I want to bless you. I want to honor you. And we'll talk about this a couple of times. This has, listen to me, has zero to do with competency. And it has, we'll see together, zero to do with value. In no way is God saying, ladies, you're dumb, listen to him. Men, she's probably smarter than you. If I'm betting, I'm betting on her. Okay? My wife is an incredibly competent and intelligent person. She has more education than I do, more degrees than I do. She's incredibly competent. The idea isn't that because I'm smarter, I get to say. Matter of fact, this is this beautiful call to a gentle leadership to say we work together. And really the way that plays out is this, that at the end of the day, the burden of making big decisions falls on my shoulders first. But I don't, I don't make all the decisions alone. That would be dumb. Right? Wisdom is when counsel comes together and you synthesize decisions together like our elders operate here. No elder makes decisions on their own. We work together, but at the end of the day, the elders carry the burden, not you. It's our job to weigh doctrine, to protect the doctrine of the church, to make hard decisions and to carry that burden. In a similar way, this plays out in marriage. Trust me, I, I want to be informed by my wife. 
She's wise and discerning. I'd be a fool not to take into account her perspective and what she thinks about a certain decision. But our, our goal is to operate in a way where once we make a decision, I can carry that burden first. It would be on my shoulders and not hers. Now there's a kind of a way of describing this that I, I heard John Piper do once, and this one can be helpful, I think, for today. What does this mean in the eyes of God? Um, does, does God only hold the man accountable for what happens in the home, or is the wife also held accountable? Um, I heard John Piper use this illustration once, and he was talking about Genesis chapter 3, you know, where Adam and Eve mess up, and they mess up together. But Eve was actually the one who was kind of engaged in that first, and so it'd be easy to go, see, she was, she was the one, so God, come get her. But I, I did it, and Adam's like, I did it because the woman you gave me gave me that. It wasn't my fault. But the illustration goes like this. If, if Hallie and I are um, maybe in our home, and this is just a fictitious illustration, um, this never happens, but we get into a heated discussion that becomes an argument um, to the point where we're actually sinning against one another, saying hurtful or harmful things to one another, treating one another in a, in a less than honoring way, and we're therefore sinning. That if Jesus were to show up, having seen and heard everything, then he knocks on the door, and Hallie opens the door. He'd be like, hey, I want to talk to you, but I want to talk to Jason first. Like, we're going we're gonna to talk about the way you've been treating him, but I want to first talk to him. And that's the pattern we see in the garden when Adam comes, or God comes to Adam and Eve, he talks to Adam first. But he still talks to Eve. Like, so there's, there's still a sense of responsibility, but who was supposed to be there protecting Eve from the serpent? Right? Who was supposed to stand in between Eve and danger? Adam, where is he at? He's right there with her, but he's behind her. And so God calls him into account first, not because he's smarter, but because he was called to lead her. And so this idea, I want to point out, is actually part of God's design before the fall. That what's being described here in 1 Peter chapter 3 What's described in Ephesians chapter 5 is a description of what marriage was like before the fall. And so now what God is doing in our marriages through Christ is he's calling us back to what was originally intended. And so it's so hard when we read these verses and we filter them through the lens of a corrupt, fallen world or maybe even your own experiences. There may be some of you here today who have been mistreated. You have maybe even been all out abused by men. And if, if I were you, I would have a hard time with this verse. See, when we filter it through the lens of a corrupt world, it, it's, it's, not gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna feel dangerous and risky. But when we simply allow God's word to speak and we realize that actually God's inviting you back to Eden, back to the original design, we can begin to see this as life-giving, not oppressive, not something to be used or leveraged against you. The idea isn't that you don't have a voice. Matter of fact, if you're a husband in this room and you don't listen to your wife's voice, you're a fool. No amens on that one? Come on now. Thank you. There we go. You're a fool. There we go. All right. I know the women are thinking it. I want some men to be with me in this. Come on now. Okay, so, and we're going to see this. We'll see this some more as we move forward. 
But what he says is this, that ladies, in marriage, even if your husband isn't a Christian, you're to do this. And that by doing this, look at what he says. That even if some of your husbands don't obey the word, they may be one, like one to Christ, without a word by the conduct of their wives. This is how important it is. Now, there's a couple of different kind of camps of thought here. One would be share the gospel always and if necessary, use words. This would be the idea of lifestyle evangelism. All you got to do is just go do good in the world and people are going to come to Jesus. Okay, the opposing thought would be what Paul says in like Romans chapter 10. How are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if somebody doesn't say something? Right, and so I think what Peter is calling us to is is to this gospel ministry of not just words, but also of conduct and lifestyle. It's not enough just to, just to use my words that my conduct should, should support what I'm saying I believe. And so, ladies, especially if your husband isn't a believer, what he's calling you to is for your, your conduct, your lifestyle is actually a good translation of the word, your lifestyle to match the teachings of the gospel. Sure, share the gospel with him, but support that gospel by the way you live. Show him like in Ephesians, Paul says, you actually display the gospel when you, when you follow the leadership of your husband. It reflects the church following Christ. And so ladies, even your unbelieving husband can be drawn to Christ through your conduct and lifestyle, through the way you honor your husband, the way you give him value, even when he doesn't deserve it, you give it to him as a gift. Not to mention the virtue of grace. So next, what he says really is going to be for every lady in the room. You could be here in like six years old, you could be 96 years old, you could be married or single, all the above or anything in between. He says this, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. So the idea of adorning here is to decorate something and make it beautiful. He said, don't let your adorning be external. And they give some examples. You know what you do when you look in the mirror before you leave the house for the day? Okay, he's saying, hey, like, let your adorning not happen there, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious husbands circle and underline that word ladies i want you to but husbands this is going to be helpful for you in a minute precious so let's start with this hidden person versus this outer person what is he getting at here um ephesians chapter three um talks about this paul's praying um he says in verse 14 for this reason i bow my knees before the father so i'm praying for you and he says this about God, he's the one from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So just because you're a Christian, you're being strengthened by God, doesn't mean your physical body is going to get stronger. He's saying the work that God is doing in you, it's deeper than that. It's the inner being. That's where God's Holy Spirit communes with your spirit in the inner self, the inner being. And then in Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, we do not lose heart, 
though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is actually being renewed day by day. So he's saying, listen, if you adorn yourself or you measure your beauty by the outside, you're going you're to miss it. Now, every lady in this room, you know the struggle. When you look in the mirror, the struggle to like what you see. I have been married long enough and I have met enough ladies in my life and to know that if not every, almost every woman in this room struggles to like what they see in the mirror. Some of your struggles are more subtle. You're doing your makeup, you're doing your hair, you take notice of the thing that you wish was different. You think about it for a second or two, you finish what you're doing, then you move away from the mirror and you forget and you go on about your day. And you don't remember it until you're back in front of a mirror later that day. Some of your struggles are a lot more severe than that to the extent that you maybe even harm your body with like unhealthy diets or unhealthy eating practices or even trying to change your body. So that it could be subtle, it can be severe, but what Peter, he's getting at something here. He, he's saying, listen, ladies, I know you measure your beauty by what's on the outside. Don't measure your beauty by what's on the outside. Why? I'll give you three good reasons. I'll give you the first, I'll give you the best reason last. First of all, if you are measuring your beauty by what you see on the outside, the time is working against you. Right? How many ladies would go, man, I just wish I had the figure back when I was, whatever, 16 or 14 or 18. And if you're in the room and you're 16, 14, or 18, there will be a day when you're like, I wish I had that figure back. So time is, is working against you, right? Unlike a fine wine, <laughs> right? The body doesn't seem to get better with age. It gets worse. It gets weaker and more painful and more wrinkly and all those sorts of things. So reason number one, time is working against you. Reason number two the ideal, beautiful woman is a moving target. Whatever culture tells you is beautiful today, look this way, this hair color, this figure, this clothing style, accentuate this, hide this. It's, it was different two weeks ago, and it's going to be different in two weeks. So young ladies in the room, hear me. You're aiming at a moving target. Like it's a cruel joke to say, hey, if you want to be beautiful, you've got to look like this today. And this happens through, you know, Disney characters. It happens through music videos, Hollywood, musicians, pop culture. I, I like pop culture. I'm not saying disengage, but I'm just letting you know that's where the message is coming from. And it's a moving target. Right? To be fit and well-figured and all these sorts of things. And then you get Billie Eilish. Right? And you say, no, wear big t-shirts. That's, that's, which one's pretty? I don't know. Okay, it's a moving target. But here's, here's the third reason, and the better reason is this. Um, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God does not make junk. When you look in the mirror, if you hold your, what you see in contempt, you're holding in contempt your heavenly Father. You're indirectly saying, you did a bad job with me. 
You missed the mark on my nose, my eyes, my hair, my figure. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And what we learn from the scriptures is that when God looks at you, you are beautiful. But the most beautiful thing about you, ladies, is the inner person, the inner character of who you are. And you can't see that in a mirror. And he gives you two examples. And he's, first of all, he says this. He says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty, everlasting beauty that doesn't diminish with age, but beauty that is being renewed with age. You're actually getting prettier. Ladies, you are more beautiful in Christ today than you were even a month ago. He says, here is what imperishable beauty looks like. It's the gentle and the quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The idea here of gentle, it's... It could also translate this way, meek, mild, forgiving, kind, benevolent. It's the idea of not using your strength to get your way. So it's like being strong but restrained. Okay? That's the gentleness. Men, 1 Timothy 3 says, all elders in the church are to be gentle. Same thing. The second word he uses is quiet. This word translates calm, at peace, at rest, patient, understanding, laid back, and forgiving of mistakes. Quiet. You don't have to say something every time you see something. I'm only going to do one, but there's a couple of beautiful examples in the New Testament where every Christian is called to this. Like, men, you're called to this too. I'll just I'll pick one for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Macedonia. We urge you, brothers, do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So whatever ladies are being called to in marriage, men, you're being called to as well. I'm going to give you an illustration that I think helps me at least understand what does it look like to live a gentle and quiet life. Does this mean I'm just, I'm walking in timidity and I'm, I'm just fearful or does it mean something else? And before I give this illustration, this applies to men and women, because it's going to include horses. Um, I, was, I was notified after last service, like, hey, you realize you compared women to horses. I'm like, well, actually, I compared us all to horses, so there you go. All right, so before I got married, um, I used to train horses, and my specific expertise in the process was actually starting horses, which some refer to as breaking horses. So that's the thing that I'm best at when it comes to training horses, getting them started. And the art of starting a horse is always aimed at the finished goal. What do you want? And so the way I was mentored in starting horses and the way I start horses and all my techniques um, are aiming at this, that a successfully trained horse is a quiet horse. If you've been around horses, you've probably heard that. 
This horse is quiet. So what does that mean? Okay, a quiet horse is not a lazy horse. It's not a horse that's not paying attention. Okay, but it's also not a horse that's rambunctious, doing everything it can to get out of the barn or out of the pen or, right, to get away from you. But a quiet horse is a horse that is strong and athletic, but restrained. And everything about the way you start a horse determines what kind of horse you get in the end. And my goal with any horse I am to start is that the horse would be quiet, regardless of how athletic it is, how smart it is, what it's used for. Is this one used for moving cattle? Is this one used for roping? Is this one used for pleasure riding? Is that the horse would be quiet. And the idea isn't that the horse is weak or inferior to the other horses. It's that this horse restrains its strength. In order to get a quiet horse, you have to have a trusting relationship between horse and rider. The horse has to trust you. I'll give you, some of you have seen like breaking horses on like, on movies or TV shows and it's like, it looks really violent and they like, they grab this horse and it's got a bunch of ropes on it and they throw a saddle on it and they throw a, a rider on it and they let go and then it turns into this big rodeo. If the horse is bucking, you're not doing the right thing. If the horse is trying to get you off its back, it doesn't trust you and the horse is not quiet. Now, even the most quiet horses are going to be a little nervous when you get on their back. And they're, you're going to have to earn their trust. But the point is that you interact with the horse in a way the horse knows it can trust you and that it can afford to be quiet, that it's not in harm's way, that whoever is on its back has its best intentions in mind. Now, this is the quietness that the Bible is calling us to. It is restrained strength. I want you to think about that, ladies. I said in the last service, my, my wife is not a weak person, mentally, physically, or otherwise. So the calling for her is not to be this, this weak, feeble, kind of, you know, refrain from engaging in society person, but to be, to be beautiful on the inside by having strength, but restrained. A quietness about her and a gentleness about her. Ladies, that's what God is saying is most beautiful about you. That's what's most beautiful about you. The character of the inner person. And just for the record, men, I compared you to horses too. All right. And here's what I would want to say. Men, you're called to the same things that your wife is called to. You're called to submission. You're called to quietness. You're called to gentleness. Women, this is not a depreciation in value or a contempt for your worth, your intellect, or your strength. It is a call to restrain those things, to not need to use those things to get your way, to be gentle and to be quiet. Now next, he's going to speak to the husbands, and we've got uh, one verse here, verse 7. Likewise, so there it is again, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So everything he's already said to all Christians, everything he's already said to wives, likewise husbands. Now, the first thing he says here is to live with your wife in an understanding way. And so if you do a little work around that, you'll get to the Greek word uh, gnosis. So it's the idea of knowledge or to know something. 
um, or to pay attention to something. Um, so it has to do with like being aware, being mindful of something. And so he's saying, hey, husbands, know some things about your wife. Know her, pay attention to her. What's interesting is this same word is used to describe, describe our relationship with Jesus. Uh, in last month's Wednesday worship, uh, David Horsburgh was preaching in Philippians 3 and verse 8 says this, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, that's the same word, knowing what, knowing who? Christ Jesus, my Lord. So there's the idea here is that in the same way that you know Christ, you're paying attention to him, you're learning about him, you're to know your, your wife that way. And then again in 2 Peter chapter 3, 18 says this, using the same word, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not only do I know him, I'm to grow in my knowledge of him. Husbands, pay attention to your wives. Grow in your knowledge of her. You do not have her figured out. She doesn't even have her figured out. Yeah. Grow in your knowledge of her, which means you're going to have to pay attention to her. You're going to have to ask questions. You're going to check in on her. You're going to notice when things are off. You're going to ask, even if you think it's you. That's scary. I don't want to ask because I think she's mad at me. Hey, she may be. God's calling you to pay attention to her to be mindful and to live with her in an understanding way. And he says, here's how we do that. We show honor. Okay, all men, not just husbands, all men, I want you to pay attention to what's being said here because I think this could apply to society as a whole. Honor her. Show honor to your wife. So honor is the idea of value or price. So in Corinthians, when Paul says you were bought with a price, it's the same word. So husbands, the way you treat your wife displays how much she means to you. How much is your wife worth? Don't answer that. It's rhetorical. How much is your wife worth? The answer will come in how you treat her. And she knows I love her. I told her 20 years ago when we got married. You may say you love her every day, but the truth will come out in how you treat her. Honor her. Ascribe value to her. The way you treat her declares to the world how much she means to you. Now, men in general, women and our culture could use a little more of this. Okay? Now, we won't get into the politics and everything happening, but there's a reason why women have to fight for their own value and worth and voice in the world around us. Some of it dates back to oppression of the colonial era. Some of that, like, there's lots of reasons for it. I mean, slavery is an all-time high. Human trafficking is at all-time high. And yes, there are boys involved, but girls, women, since the fall, have been mistreated and abused and used and discarded and devalued. Now, you honoring the women that you come in contact with won't fix the world, but that's your calling and that's your part. To display to the women in your life, you matter, you have value, you have dignity. I'm going to honor you by the way I treat you. 
that's really the heart that was supposed to be behind opening doors. It's not because you can't open a door for yourself. It's just a way to say, here's a physical expression of, of my honor towards you. And then he says something that gets twisted on you, ladies, and I'm going to try my best to unpack it. He says, Show, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Okay, so this word weaker, it also could be translated delicate. So it's less of you being a weak human being. And it's more about you being delicate and worthy of protection. So I use the, thought, uh, the illustration of fine china. Right? So the difference between a mason jar and a fine china. If you come to our house for dinner, by the way, just heads up, we're probably going to serve you water or tea in a, in a mason jar. It's just how we roll. Mason jars are tough, and you can have boys, and they can get thrown in the sink, and they don't always break. But now the fine china, I mean, we don't have much of that around our house. Right? So there's a difference. There's also a difference in the value. One is worthy of being protected. One is precious. Remember that word from earlier? One has a high value and it's worthy of being protected. And the other one, we got 24 more. It's fine if it gets cracked or break or chip, we throw it in the trash. So the idea of being a weaker vessel is not weaker in, in intellect. IQ studies would show that's not true. You might argue that men are physically stronger. There's a decent argument for that when you look at sports and the Olympics. I said in the last service, though, my wife will probably out-arm wrestle two-thirds of the men in the room, so it doesn't just mean that you're not strong. But the idea here is that you are delicate and precious, and you are worth being protected, worth being honored, worth being valued. So what God would say to Adam, hey, she's worth you standing in harm's way to protect her. Not because she's dumb, because she's worth protecting. And so when he says weaker vessel, he's not disparaging women or downgrading your value or saying you can't fight. Dude, my wife is a fighter. And I only know that because she tells me, because I'm a runner. I, I'm out of there. She stays to fight. Women, you can hold your own. The point isn't that you can't. The point is that men should treat you as one who is worthy of being protected. If anything, this should be an upgrade in your value. A lot of sadness when I think about the way the world treats women. But if I'm going to be honest, I've got to start with my own heart and my own home. Husbands, I, I don't get this right all the time. There's failure. So if you're sitting there going, gosh, I kind of stink at this. Um, what do I do with that? Hey, I'm telling you, this is where the grace of Jesus comes in. Husbands, you're going to need the grace of Jesus. The grace that washes over you and sets you free from condemnation and also empowers you to keep trying. Wives, your husbands need grace. Husbands, your wives need grace too. Pay attention to them. They're worth, they're worth knowing and they're worth protecting. And we're... Peter ends here is really interesting and challenging, guys. He says, we do this since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, which I just addressed. We are co-heirs. We all need grace, husbands and wives, men and women. But guys, look at what he says. So that your prayers may not be hindered. 
how you treat your wife has an impact on your relationship with God. That's not my interpretation. That's not my insider wisdom. I'm just reading the Bible to you. How you treat your wife impacts your relationship with God. This word hindered means to be rendered ineffective. So that your prayers may not be rendered ineffective. Man, husbands, it seems to me, according to Peter, God pays close attention to how you treat your wife. And whether or not you live with her in, an, in a way that displays that you pay attention to her and you treat her with high value. What does it mean to pay attention? You're just, you're just mindful. Pay attention to what she needs. If you'll pay attention, you're going to be able to tell. And I'm telling you, you know, there, there are reasons why sometimes women get big. They use their voice, they get loud, they scream, they, right? Because they cry, they get big because they're saying, pay attention to me. And I'm telling you, there was a warning sign a long time ago in most cases. Some of you ladies need to be encouraged to use your voice a little bit sooner, not waiting until it builds up into this big emotional moment. But the point is, husbands, we are proactive. We're, paying att- we're studying, we're paying attention. Like, hey, are, are you okay? Are you, something seems off. Even if it's me, I, I want to know. Knowing that the way that I treat you and pay attention to you actually impacts my relationship with God. Now, if you're here today and you're not married, there's plenty of here, there's plenty here to challenge you and apply to you, okay? But I want to land with some questions for application here, and I want to start with the wives. Wives, how well do you display honor toward your husband by following his leadership? How well do you display honor? He has value, he means something to me, by your willingness not his forcefulness, just your willingness to follow his leadership. And I would follow this one up with wives, would your husband say that you possess a gentle and quiet spirit that points him towards Jesus? Would your husband say that you possess a gentle and quiet spirit that points him towards Christ. Ladies, whether you're married or not, how do you measure your beauty? Do you consider the way you look on the outside as the metric for how beautiful you are? Or do you look deeper than that? Do you see what God sees? Do you see your inner character as the source of your beauty? Husbands, this think for a minute about our role here how much effort do you give to honoring your wife and showing her that she has value i'm not asking you what you said on your wedding day i hope it was sweet and kind and gave you and her warm fuzzies i'm asking about how you treat her today how much effort intentionality do you give to honoring your wife and showing her that she matters to you? Husbands, would your wife say that you patiently pay attention to her and what she needs? Are you living with her in an understanding way 
seeking to know her more? Do you pay attention to her patiently and to what she needs? And then, husbands, lastly, would your wife say that she feels like someone who is precious and valuable to you? And I'll add this, worth protecting. Would your wife say that she matters to you? Would your wife say she feels like someone who is precious and valuable to you? Lastly, whether you are married or not, how does this passage of Scripture encourage you to continue striving to honor God in relationships, even when you're in the midst of persecution or suffering or hardship? Things are going to get tough and hard. The calling doesn't change. So I want to land here and say this, we're all going to need grace. But maybe you're here today and you have never experienced the grace of Jesus for the first time. You've never come to Christ and said, I believe, I believe the gospel. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God and you died for my sins and you rose again. And my trusting in you brings brings a forgiveness of sins that can only come from God. And it gives me this secure inheritance that Peter talks about of eternal life. And that's you. I'm going to ask you to consider coming and talking to one of our prayer partners or our pastors or our elders today that you not leave here without experiencing the grace of Jesus. Because here's the reality. That was just marriage. (laughs) We all need grace. And if that's you and you've never tasted the grace of God, I'm hoping before you leave here today you can experience it. Please come grab one of us. Don't try to do this on your own. Come grab one of us and let us talk with you and pray with you today. I'm going to pray over us now and our, our worship team is going to come up. Our prayer partners are going to come forward. Let's get ready to respond to God. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the teaching today. Uh, we need it. We need your word to be like a lighthouse, uh, to be like a beacon, to show us the pathway of life, to call us when we're back to you when we're wondering um, father if we only listen to the voice of the world around us we are going to be a confused and miserable people the expectation and the metrics of a happy life according to our culture it's a moving target if we have this today we'll be happy but it won't do tomorrow so father thank you for your word this beautiful precious Word that doesn't change. That even when culture changes, your word doesn't. And so, Father, thank you for calling us back to this beautiful description of marriage. When wives honor their husbands and husbands honor their wives in this way, Father, it's a beautiful portrait of the gospel itself. It leads people to you. And God, it leads to abundant life for us. Father, would you work in this church today? Would you work in our marriages? Just talking about marriage is going is to bring some things to the surface right now, God. I'm praying that you would work in the marriages of this church. Father, if there's a couple here today that needs help, God, that they would ask for it. If there's an individual here today who needs help, that they would ask for it. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would truly move in our hearts today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.